This episode of Roost Files Unite is brought to you by MUBI, a curated streaming service showing exceptional cinema from around the world. Every day, MUBI premieres a new film, each one thoughtfully hand-picked, from new directors to award winners. Beautiful, interesting, incredible movies, there's always something new to discover. Right now on MUBI, you can watch Sergei Loznitsa's State Funeral, a stunning archival vision of the Soviet Union in the days after Joseph Stalin's death, and the subject of this episode of the show. To try MUBI free for 30 days, you can visit MUBI.com slash RoosFiles. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash RoosFiles for an entire month of incredible cinema free of charge. Ali and this is the Rus Files Unite podcast where we watch Russian films and films with a Russian connection. As always, I am joined by a guest and today my guest is Kristaps Andresons. Hi Kristaps, thanks very much for joining me. Greetings comrade. <laughs> I Thank you for having you're me. You're using the traditional eastern border <laughs> greeting. Yeah, no, it's 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 a delight to finally get you on the show. So for folks who haven't come across the eastern border, tell us a little bit about yourself, Chris Stapps. Well, um, I'm a podcaster from Latvia. I live literally on the eastern border, normally, literally 20 kilometers from the Russian border. And we used to be in the Soviet Union. You might have heard of that country at some point. <laughs> um, yeah, 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 it comes up once or twice on this show. So I... So what I do is I try to make a podcast about how it was really like to live in the country there and also have branched out due to listener requests into talking about various other historical subjects concerning Russia and all the Eastern Eastern European region in general, sometimes talking about Balkans as well, where I visited. And then I have to talk about Russian politics now and then. I was going to say current affairs as well, because... I have to make an episode on that each month because I truly feel that Sometimes people from the Western countries and journalists there, they they just get the gist from third-party sources or something, and there's a lot of content, which is exclusively in Russian, and I follow all the Russian opposition media, and I want to tra- bring out some some true stories from that as well. So my show is all about the Soviet history and modern-day Russian politics, but not in the boring, boring sense of traditional news, because I tend to cherry-pick my stories to make it actually interesting, 
Meanwhile, it's also sure, quite de- it's also quite depressing sometimes. But then again, what isn't? <laughs> <laughs> That's the spirit. <laughs> yes, yes. I think I, I think if you have an interest in in history and or politics, especially especially right now, you kind of have to have like a a pretty high, um, I guess depression slash sadness tolerance level built up uh i don't even know what that is but yeah um so what inspired you to start the podcast then christos oh um it started out in my in my back room and i was listening to dan carlin everyone Mm. listens to dan carlin really and then he had his forums back in the day where before he uh before he kind of had to shut him down shut him down and i was a history student so what i did was I collected a bunch of stories about how it was like to serve in the Soviet army, various stories from the people there, and they seemed kind of, you know, a bit crazy now and then and interesting. So I just posted kind of a blog there on those Dan Carlin forums, and then Mr. Dan himself told me that, hey, why don't you make your own podcast? And that was back in, like, what, five years ago at this point, where podcasts were just appearing and growing and there weren't as many independent podcasters. So I grew up from there, basically. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think many, many people, certainly in the kind of history slash politics side of things, indie podcasters will have been inspired by uh, uh, by Dan Cullen. In fact, a previous guest, you know, going back way to my first series, um, a guy called Patrick, he actually introduced me to Dan, Dan Cullen's podcast, like, way back when I was still living in Russia. I think I was just home for the summer so yeah that really his show very much kind of put me on to more independent podcasting like prior to that I'd just been listening mostly to stuff from the BBC if I'm honest that was essentially just podcast versions of radio shows oh so- I also listen to the BBC show my favorite one is the like the history one what's its name with um with, with the awesome journalist guy uh in our time history that one. Okay, I was gonna say yeah, because I am a big, big fan of of In Our Time. In fact, it was, it was funny. It's funny because it's so long running. Um, like, um, actually, like show, show showbiz gossip. But just over a year ago, I through like my my day job, I actually went to the Parliamentary Book Awards. It was just in that window before like covid arrived in the uk well there was probably some cases at that point but things hadn't shut down so this was actually in person and i i stood next to 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 melvin bragg the host very briefly i did not pluck up the courage to actually say hi because i just was like what would i even say and he's probably just you know trying to enjoy his evening so i i completely wimped out of that but that is my that is my showbiz showbiz anecdote but yeah Big, big fans of, of that show over here. It's, I mean, it's, it's so wide-ranging and I cool. I mean, pod, podcasts are like Pringles. You can't have just one. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So um, as far as as far as far the eastern border, we've, we've mentioned, like, the history and the current affairs side of things. Do you have, like, personal favourites in terms of ones that you've made? Oh, yeah. I really dug deep into the Chernobyl series. Well, it was one of the first episodes I made. I guess it was like tenth or something, which I enjoyed. And then, well, as I gained access to other sources, I revisited Chernobyl after the TV show came out, which I enjoyed immensely. And at that point, kind of more 
more documents were basically made public again because in in the Soviet in Russia and in like all our countries a lot of the Soviet era documentation is still under the seal of secrecy and you can't access right, it so that right. came out and that came out and I, I was I was stunned because the whole incompetence and in building the whole whole reactor and everything yeah people knew about it you see and it's a rare rare case a rare story where I have to say that the KGB guys were the good responsible people in that story which doesn't come up often, but yeah, no. they were, they were <laughs> like Andropov himself was basically uh, at that point yelling at people saying that you can't build it like this. Come on. It's a nuclear reactor. Just fix it up. And no one did. But even back then, even when, as it was built, there were a bunch of people from the KGB literally writing to the central party committee saying, Hey, uh, guys, guys, please fix this. And no one did. So that, that stunned me. So that, that's one of the, one of the, my best personal stories. And the other one, uh, other one I have to mention is that, um, well, you might have heard of a, a nice little affair called the Russian-Afghanistan War, the Soviet-Afghanistan War. Yeah, which which for for them is, for those who don't know, it's it's pretty much to the Soviet Union what the Vietnam War was to the Americans. Yeah, I, like, and those veterans are still alive, and but it was mm, all top secret, and I spoke with them. And that was one of the most more tragic experiences ever. One of the more personal stories where I felt connection with those people, and how they were treated and everything. It was it was that was a kind of a grim affair. But then we have we have fun episodes too about the Soviet space program and animals in the and farming in the Soviet Union, which is like, which is a quite probably the most dark episode around. But you should listen to that. I don't want to spoil that anything about that. That's a fun episode. <laughs> well, it crosses the line at least five times in every 10 minutes or so. I mean, in terms of the intersection between funny and and dark, you did one episode with, oh, what's his name? The, the chap who's written the book about Soviet jokes. Oh, yeah, that was great. Editor's note, the name of the book that I was totally drawing a blank on there is It's Only a Joke, Comrade. Humour, Trust and Everyday Life Under Stalin, 1928-1941 by Jonathan Waterlow. And it just so happens that if you're in the UK, you can pick the book up from our bookshop.org affiliate store and we get a cut of the sale. So yeah, you can find the link in the show notes. Anyway, back to the show. So I was I was wondering if you could share with us uh, some of your favourite like Stalin-era jokes or jokes about Stalin particularly because of the film we'll be talking about on this episode. Yeah, I have I have a bunch written down because um, they're, they're, they're mostly from the Armenian radio kind. And like, Armenian radio was a fun program where, you know, it was kind of a morning talk show and people could call in and ask questions. So that made into the political atmosphere. So the jokes are basically Armenian radio gets called, they get a question and then they answer in a meaningless way. So I have uh, three jokes for you prepared. Well, two of them sure. are the Armenian radio one and one is about movies. So uh, I was going to say shoot, but again, considering we're talking about Stalin, maybe that's in poor taste. Why shoot? Use ice pick instead. Save bullet. <laughs> okay, Armenian radio gets asked, how will we find out that there's, you know, that the, the communism has finally arrived? Armenian radio answers, well, they'll probably tell you in the radio and newspapers, and if the people will still have TVs remaining, then they'll say that there as well. <laughs> and uh, another one is, Armenian radio gets asked, will there be KGB under communism? Armenian radio answers, well, I think by that time people will have learned to rest themselves. 
And then and then uh. th- then there's then there's the movie joke uh, in the, in Leningrad, just right next to the Winter Palace, goes kind of a, a shoot of a movie about the whole storming of the Winter Palace, and and the Bolsheviks are attacking, and the cadets and Junkers are just shooting back, and there's kind of a bunch of extras, and and somewhere from the crowd, someone screams, "Hey, Junkers, fight until the last man! Fight until the last man!" <laughs> Yeah, I suspect things didn't <laughs> didn't end well for that particular audience member. <laughs> and very good for bringing in a film-related joke. I, I appreciate that. Keeping it on topic, that's good. Keeping on topic? <laughs> oh, okay. We can we can do that. <laughs> no, we we can go on tangents. No, it's it's totally fine. But as as usual, I have to warn people who listen to shows with with uh, guests on them. On topic tends to be a very sliding scale, really. <laughs> In any show, in any show where there's more than one, where where there's more than one person speaking, it always becomes somewhat of a sliding scale affair. But that's that's like that's the whole that's the whole fun is just seeing where the yeah. conversation goes. Yeah. Uh, so the I should bring in the 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 movie that we're going to be watching. So the movie we're going to be watching is called State Funeral, and it's a 2019 documentary by. Ukrainian director Sergei Loznitsa. As I say, he's Ukrainian, but his Russian connection is that he he studied in, I don't know whether you pronounce it Vigik or whether it's just V-G-I-K, but it's like the big film school in Moscow. So so yeah, that's his, his Russian connection. It is about the funeral of Joseph Stalin. So yeah, let's talk about that guy. Vgik uh, stands for Vsherashisky Gosudarstvenny Institut Kinematography, or All Russian State Cinematography Institute. Yes. Although, as it happened in the Soviet Union... It was all Soviet at that time, yeah. Exactly, yeah. People came from, from all around the, the Union. And it's, it's a funny, it's a funny uh, phenomenon that I've noticed in terms of... Um, women who who were directors is that a lot of the best soviet directors who were women weren't ethnic russians they were from they were from the various different republics so <laughs> uh, so i want to cover more films directed by women but a lot of them i'm kind of like uh, am i kind of co-opting somebody who's who's not really russian so i have to like find the find the connection so look I'm not it's, just... it's actually it's actually very simple <laughs> because during the Soviet era, there was, at least when it came to art and all that stuff, we really didn't, you know, at that time it was a single country, you know, and people truly sure. kind of... We we still today, uh, in other places in Europe, you use English as your, you know... When, when, you, when you meet a person from another country, you can probably speak English to them. Meanwhile, in all of the post-Soviet bloc sphere, Russian serves the same purpose. We all, yeah, it's the, the we all do Franca, that. Yeah. yeah. So, but basically kind of Russian per se is just one of the things because kind of the cultural attitudes I think including in film are quite similar around around these parts and mm. well some of the films are just downright scary too I mean one of my favorite <laughs> ones where uh, some people from Latvia also participated was the one about the hedgehog in the fo- hedgehog in the fog oh I love that film it's it's, it's, it's weird so for beautiful. a kids movie though it, it is pretty dark if you look at it and it's it, kind it of... is it is yeah <laughs> and th- that's one of those few movies I know I know I don't want to sound pretentious here but that's one of the things that uh, you could possibly describe as dreamlike oh absolutely 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 yeah I definitely need to cover Yuri Norstein's animations on on this show at, at some point it 
Don't worry, listeners. It is on the to-do list. Okay, today's today today's movie. We have to get to today's movie. Yeah, we do. We do. But we have to talk about Uncle Joe a little bit. Oh, uh, wh- why? First. But why? Well, because he's because we're ushering him off his mortal coil. He's oh, you know, shuffling off. Nice. It. Uh, <laughs> Let's talk about Old Cobra then. A huge fan of movies, by the way. He loved. Uh, uh, well, indeed, indeed. Like those of you who've heard our episode on Chapayev, he watched that. I forget. It's like it's either it's either forty times or close to it. Like he just watched that thing again and again. And, and, and he and he used his power to basically control which director should direct the movie and how they how how the actors should act. He totally liked to kind of micromanage stuff and he but he would just call an actor and into him and just just say no you can't you can't act this character in this way it's like you know you have to do it differently he he was just really into that and it's kind of weird yeah. because sorry what were you gonna say i was just saying that you know he was a huge movie buff which is interesting to me because mm, he also yeah, yeah, yeah. he also liked the classical westerns a lot that's one of his, his yeah things. i'd heard that and one of the things they cover in the British slash American movie, Death of Stalin, is his late night film screenings that he was quite the night owl and would keep all of his uh, his immediate underlings up until the wee hours in the morning watching a movie. And, you know, you don't really feel like you can turn around to Joseph Stalin and say, do you know what, I think I'm just going to have an early night. No, and also he uh, made people drink at those events and drink heavily because of his all prison stuff because he used to you know he used to sit in prison for a lot of times and escape a lot of prisons and he learned from that prison culture that that's how he kind of tested if we can trust someone because he knew that a lot of people get extremely talkative when they're drunk oh they do yeah so he uh used and if you couldn't drink with him and he was a well he was let's just say tough you know he could drink Mm. a lot and then he would just make people drink a lot, and then if they would say something stupid, then off to Gulag you go! Right, yeah. Or, or he would just remember it for later, you know, and just... Maybe there would be a six-month or three-year delay, and then this thing that you said would would come back. Yeah, because obviously it was taped to hell and back. All of it. There was always There, there were always, like, tapes and everything... And he just would, would run run with that. So, but he was an interesting person, truly, because he, as as you might you might have known, he uh, studied to become a Orthodox priest for a while. Right. But then, but then right, he right. found Karl Marx and became an atheist. And he never came from like a rich family or something. But then he got involved into all of this Bolshevik stuff, and he planned a lot of terrorist acts and crimes to steal money for for Bolsheviks and and whatnot. But he had a he had a soft spot for a while at least, because he was also kind of he was trying to be you know this cultured person. But he suffered a lot as his contemporaries of the time Lenin and Trotsky came from much kind of well off families. They were mm. they were not from peasant stock, so to speak. Not to offend anyone here, I just don't know how to express it better. So he was always treated as this simpleton or something. But he really tried at some point. So he, later in his life, after his wife died, just after his first wife, after just a year of marriage, he wrote himself that any warmth he, had ever, he has ever had had left him completely. And then he, then he became way more brutal. This is the moment where Koba, this whole Georgian folk hero, turns into Stalin himself. And after that, although he enjoyed art a lot, he also had this kind of 
kind of contempt for the people whom he would consider, you know, you know, people from the high art societies and all that stuff. He basically would, you know, make them feel he would punish them essentially because that would he would associate with the fact that as he wasn't in power, those people would kind of laugh at him and, and put him aside and not not allow him to participate in everything. So that that's also his, his attitude towards art. He really wanted to enjoy it, but he had a bit of that. That's why he also micromanaged all the actors in a lot of movies because he wanted to put like people from simpler backgrounds, so to speak, true proletarians in there, because he thought that maybe high art people, you know, real Shakespearean actors, he viewed them with suspicion and thought they were, you know, too much, like, into themselves or something. Just like that. snobby, yeah. snobby bourgeoisie, essentially. Yeah, and he, he basically always, he always tried to be as simple as it gets, because if, if you look at his pictures, like, he had, he had a fancy, he had a fancy mansion, multiple multiples off, and he, like, in his spare time, if you read biographies, then he enjoyed life, and he liked, you know, drinking and partying sometimes, but he always in public only wear, only wore his coat, and, like, the, his only one, like, Medal of Honor, uh, the Hero of the Soviet Union one, and he always dressed kind of in plain clothes, and, well, he always tried to, you know, he always tried to be this prude person, and he had no patience for, kind of, generals or someone decorating themselves way beyond their merits and stuff like that so that's an interesting yeah, yeah. aspect of his psychology I, I hope i hope it's relevant to this i just want to kind of if we're looking at this about stalin i think people should kind of know about know about the person himself yes i mean it's it sounds kind of gross to say that he's a he's a fascinating figure because he was a brutal tyrant and murderer but it is he, yeah just like it is a very interesting story of how somebody comes from obscurity to be like one of the most powerful men in the world. Yeah, and 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 the and the fact is that his character was so strong that now everyone automatically assumes that the general secretary is the leader of the Soviet Union in all the histories, mm. right? But Which the fact is, was not set in stone. It at was all. it was not the case. It was not the case at all because Stalin made the position rather than the position took Stalin in. Because at the beginning, he actually was just general secretary, kind of the chief clerk of everything. But he was responsible for all the all the human resources and where which people worked and stuff, so he built his team from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And talking about people writing him off, Trotsky particularly essentially just thought of Stalin as a pen pusher who just wasn't that important and and yeah i i get the impression that he like he wasn't kind of this is an odd way to describe it but he wasn't flashy like trotsky like trotsky was very charismatic in a big way like he could give big inspiring speeches which apparently stalin really wasn't so good yeah, at stalin stalin was the planner guy he did mm. it from the ground up he was the guy who does all the legwork basically and that's that's how he got in power because everyone was so concerned at that time about the charismatic speeches and popularity that they just didn't notice the fact that Stalin had 
basically infiltrated himself and put his people in all all parts of the government and built built his agencies and networks everywhere so when it came to you know they could have their nice little speeches all they wanted but then if if they did something that would uh, disturb stalin and like mess him up on his way to power then he could just remove them easily so to speak mm, yeah, yeah yeah he quietly co-opted like all the practical levers of power i mean it seems from listening to your st- series on him, Man of Steel, like you said the word network, he was essentially like this brilliant networker, like, and he, apparently he had a very good, like, memory for names and faces and was just, like, on an individual level, like, again... I feel like I have to really underline this because I don't want to sound more sympathetic no, to but the guy than he's I am. Just, he was he's horrible. Just, he's just extremely fascinating in a way mm. that I mean I might use a gaming analogy here, you know, like from Dungeons and Dragons or something. Because there's okay. there's this alignment system there. You can be like either lawful or chaotic or good or evil, and then it creates kind of a grid, you know, lawful good, lawful neutral, yeah, yeah, yeah. good, stuff like that. If we if we're talking about villainous people in history, then I would consider that for example, Hitler is chaotic evil. Meanwhile, Stalin is more lawful evil person. He's fascinating in the sense that he was all about this organizing and power and all these structures and kind of like Winston Churchill, except extremely, extremely evil and uh, power hungry, sort of like that. I, I, I don't, I, I don't. I'm not an expert on British history, but yeah, don't open the Churchill can of worms. <laughs> really, don't. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he he was just uh, like it's. It seems like when he wanted to be, he was extremely personally charming, like, and just able to convince people that he wasn't a bad dude, and that like in terms of like underlings and people who were beneath him in the in in the party, like he would flatter them like by remembering who they who they were, and so he just had a way of convincing people that supporting him was in their own interest um i mean it turns out that often backfired pretty spectacularly for them but he yeah he just was like a master manipulator and at the same time he was extremely ruthless because he uh himself like when his son as a kid asked him hey dad can i be stalin too one day then right. he brushed him off by saying that I'm not Stalin, you're not Stalin, there's only one Stalin, and that's, you know, his crafted image. And what's, what's what really underpins his whole ruthlessness is the fact that his son, which he, from his now deceased wife, he was, um, he was a, you know, he fought in World War II, and he was a lieutenant, and he got captured by the Germans. Sure, yeah, yeah. And then the Germans found out that he was Stalin's son. And they thought they could use him as leverage. As leverage to basically exchange him for some captured high-rank officers. And uh, there was this nice line that uh, Stalin replied that he will not exchange a lieutenant for a colonel. And just didn't mm. care at all. So Stalin's son ended up basically, when, when he heard the news, his, he got into a massive depression and basically, uh, basically kind of committed suicide. He ran into electric wires and was then shot by the guards. Stalin shed no tears over that. Yeah, just 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 to show you the extremes of this personality. I mean, like it's kind of levels like, of callousness. Yeah, yeah, it 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 is interesting because we're not being sympathetic here for his huge vast amounts of crimes. However, you have to admit that he's definitely earned his place in history as a kind of a 
fascinating personality. I mean, you can look at other historical figures such as Genghis Khan and, and Julius Caesar, for example. I think both of those guys, there are similarities in terms of like just having immense like personal gifts and kind of a genius of a kind, but also just having like zero regard for other human lives. Yeah, and it's and it, it it's like we're we're not saying that they were awesome guys and you should replicate them, but there's a little no. something that I think that you can, you know, learn by reading their biographies and learning about them. That's definitely yeah. that definitely is the case. I mean, not least for the fact that evil people don't always look like, you know, they often come across as quite charming and lovable. I mean Stalin if you if you if you look at him if you look at him now Stalin comes off as a textbook sociopath. Right. Uh, with, 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 I, I don't really I don't really even think he understood the concept of any morality or empathy in general. I think those words would mean like nothing to him. He could fake it, but I personally believe that he had this idea of uh, empathy for other people as something other people might have and that being their weakness or something. Yeah, I mean, I think you could definitely make the case for that. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I think we could probably safely say that we could talk about Stalin a, a lot more, but let's let's cease talking about him and let's bury him. <laughs> so oh. we should get on with the film. Music to my <laughs> so, ears, man. Right. Yes. <laughs> uh, so what we say at this point in every episode is... And uh, yeah, Christaps, what does that mean? Oh, that's, that literally means let's go, which is a famous mm-hmm. phrase used by Gagarin upon his first flight. It's a very iconic statement and I'm happy that we're using it here. Awesome. So, three, two, one. Payekhali. Christaps Andresens and I have just watched State Funeral, directed by Sergei Loznitsa. And before we tell you what we thought about it, this is not a narrative film, so it's not really a plot summary, but Christaps is going to give us an overview of what we see in this film. So if you haven't seen it yet and you don't want to have it spoiled, sounds weird talking about that in a historical documentary, but be that as it may, this is this is where Kristaps will be talking about what happens. So, yeah, over to you, Kristaps. Well, this is a collection of various archive footage of, um, of well, what happened during Stalin's death, and it's basically, it takes you through the whole process, and the archive footage is mostly unseen, and it just goes through all of the funeral procedure, through the, um, through the fact that how Stalin's death is announced to the public, and how people react, and how people 
basically buy up newspapers to read more on this. And then there is uh, the, the funeral, the preparation, and then there's the funeral itself, and people enter, and there's kind of the whole procedure, everything, and then there's a parade, and there's a lot of speeches. It, it goes through a long list of everything that happened through the funeral in various parts of the Soviet Union, and how people reacted, and it's a very... It's a slow movie, and the most the most important part about this, I think, is not exactly you know it goes through it very chronologically. You can see, clearly see through from the beginning to the end of everything, but it shifts its focus, and uh, it doesn't happen in one spot. It happens like through various places in time and focuses on various different aspects. For example, there's um just before the funeral in the preparation phase, there's also this kind of scene where all the foreign delegations arrive from the Soviet bloc and there's Czechoslovakia and Bulgaria and then there are people's representatives and they come to say their goodbyes to Stalin and a lot of speeches are given and if, you, uh, if you're fluent in Russian they're going to be amazing <laughs> it goes through that it's, just kind of, it's, kind of, it's kind of hard to describe because well uh, if, you've, if you've ever kind of uh, imagined how a state funeral would go through from a perspective from a perspective of, of watching it at the, at the sidelines and just filming through how people react and how guests arrive and how speeches are given then that's that's that basically but and it's it's, it's more it's more i think about the the people inside the mm. whole story rather than about the story itself at least that's how i observed it and it's like the every it's in it's every stage of this this funeral it's not chaptered but you can see it like announcement early stages and everything every stage is very very thorough and you you get to see a lot of perspectives on the same same aspects happening all the time that was a great summary Kristaps. thank you i i, I hope it was uh, because it's not easy to to give everything this exact description because no because there's there's so much and there's so many like little details and yeah um it is kind of repetitive and it's worth saying there's there's no commentary there's music and when people are giving speeches and when announcements are happening over the tannoy you hear that but you don't get any like there's there's not a a director or an actor like reading a voiceover or explaining things you just see it and you hear it and then at the very end of the film, you have some title cards, basically giving you a summary of, of Stalin's crimes. See, I, I, I found the fact that there is no commentary to be in very... At least I viewed it as an interesting artistic decision here, because I watch a lot of documentaries, and at this point when... Um, specifically, specifically in Russian, and most of these commentaries have this video background with some people commenting. But at one point, you truly have seen all the stock footage from that era, and you just basically just listen to the commentary as a kind of a podcast. But in this in this film, the fact that there is no commentary puts puts focus on the very images on the screen. You have to watch it because it's less about, like I said, the whole events. Are, are there in the back, but it's more about the people's reactions. It's kind of like this people's story because it, it focuses on the common people a lot and the very like their faces and their expressions and, and it gives you this feel. 
it's it's meant to be seen and absorbed in a more of a visual way because some of the speeches, mm-hmm. for example, they also don't have an they don't have an excellent audio quality because it's archive footage, but it's set up nicely and edited together so that it would be very chronological. And this shift of perspectives also also forces you to basically watch through it and pay attention to all these visual cues and details. Yeah, I mean, it feels very much like a primary source rather than a secondary source. I mean, you can't, yeah. you have to not be naive in the sense that there's a director involved and they're selecting the footage. And, and apparently this was taken from like over 200 hours worth of footage that they've like cut down and assembled. Okay, a quick correction here. I made a mistake. It wasn't 200 hours of footage. It was actually 40 I think what happened here is that there were 200 camera operators working and I conflated this number with the number of hours of footage. So yeah, anyway, thought I should correct that. And now back to my conversation with Kristaps. And you know, there's editing, of course, and there's sequencing. But as we say, it's quite chronological. And so there's editorial decisions, if you like, but it isn't mediated by having somebody explaining stuff. The only kind of editorial you get is those title cards at the end, as I've mentioned. So I've got a quote from the director, which I'd normally not do, but I think this is quite illustrative. So, quote, It's crucial for me to bring the spectator inside this experience, not as an impartial observer of a historical event or an admirer of rare archival footage, but as a participant and a witness of a grandiose, terrifying and grotesque spectacle, revealing the essence of a tyrannical regime, end quote. So, yeah, I think that's a great quote. Uh, but, Kristaps, do you feel like the director achieved what he set out to in like bringing, bringing you as the viewer into the event like as a as if you were there yes and i think that that was also one of the reasons why there was no commentary because oh, and there were there were the, the specific point where i i felt really put into all this situation is how you get the kind of the viewpoint and the camera and and kind of the parts from all this archive footage chosen is uh, very much chosen to to feed to make you feel like you're standing there and you're not put into a special. You're not put into a specific spectator position. For example, when there's a scene where people are buying Pravda newspaper to learn about to learn about Stalin's death, you feel like one of the people in the crowd. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rather than having that distance. Yeah, yeah. There is, there is no, 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 no distance. And there are like there are some establishing shots, obviously, so that you understand where where things are happening. But for the most part, for the most part, everything feels like you're you're there. Then again, that that's my personal personal uh, opinion here, and as I'm not a movie no, expert, of so <laughs> no, and that was very much my experience, and I found it's very weird because, of course, you know, with any movie, you bring your like own experiences and your own knowledge to the table, but I felt like it was just like this weird dissonance because. You've got this music playing throughout and it's kind of like the great like funereal like 
music pieces. So it's very moving, you know, and there's there's like a Mozart piece at one point, which I also like know from it's used at the end of LM Klimov's Come and See, but that's kind of like a another matter entirely. But this you know, you've got all this incredibly moving music, just seeing human faces like with tears and just everyone like really sad. I found like I was feeling I I was feeling sadness even though like at the same time cognitive dissonance because I'm like I'm not sad that Stalin is dead he was he was a horrific tyrant but just the effect of this somber music and these like grieving people just like you can't help being or at least I couldn't help being sucked in by that yeah it's it's really an odd experience. Yeah, about the sadness part and the somber music there, it, it, it's kind of a twofold thing, because uh, there were quite a lot of people who um, who generally grieved for Stalin, but there were a lot more who were mostly afraid that if they... They were afraid, because at this point in history, in the Soviet era, one of the observers that you could take place in in this movie is that of a KGB agent who is there to take notes uh, if, if you're not grieving well enough and then you can you can sometimes spot kind of the fear on some people's faces there and all kind of the theatrical parts so I think that is also part of the thing because a lot of people didn't know what, what would happen next and what was sure, going on and who was watching them but it's um you, you could kind of describe it as having a similar mood to a good psychological horror movie, in a way, because yeah. it gives you this this mood, and it's not a happy mood at all. It's kind of this thick atmosphere, you know, where, where you could basically hang an axe there in the air, basically, all the time. This movie is not an easy watch, basically. You, you can't just, you know, sift through it. You, you have to dedicate yourself to watching through this and, and to try to understand it as best as you can, I think. Definitely. Yeah, no, it's it's not it's not an exciting film in in a conventional way at all, and in, in, yeah, it's like it's not it's not a hard watch necessarily in terms of seeing awful things because you know it's mostly just like people filing into buildings and, and filing out of them. I mean, you see a dead body, obviously, um, uh, but just yeah, one though. But just yes, just one. But it's just it's just the knowledge of of the context and who it is who is who is being mourned and the things that he was he was responsible for it's it's just like yeah it's it's quite a creepy creepy feeling um i mean it's an interesting discussion i don't know what you felt about the decision to omit from the ending title cards the fact that over the days of the official mourning a lot of people actually uh, died due to essentially like crowd control like management issues uh, and just in you know incompetence and just you know that's horrific but it's it's just completely omitted from from the film po- possibly just because uh, they wanted to focus on the, the the spectacle but just for for listener context uh, this is a a quote from Joshua Rubenstein's the last days of Stalin so Quote, no one can say for sure how many people died in the streets of Moscow during those days of mourning. 
there were hundreds, perhaps thousands of casualties, end quote. So, yeah, what did you think of the decision not to talk about that aspect of... Uh, the of of the process of I mean it sounds callous to say the process but the you know thing, the events it, it kind of it kind of feels like a process indeed and I think that well in a way it uh, kind of reinforced the idea that the kind of the spectator is another character in the movie and that that reinforced my idea that he would be the one from the the KGB part why it mm. wasn't mentioned at the end. Well, yeah, I, I have, I have no idea really, because well, it would be fitting for the fact that this um, whole story and everything. Obviously, it was um, all footage taken from propaganda channels in in the Soviet Union. Sure, sure, sure. And this whole funeral was presented in a way as a kind of a biased source would sort of present it maybe i hmm. i i i can't i can only give opinions there and, and some some thoughts on this but uh i i have no clue i Fair i found it, yeah, i found, yeah, yeah. i found it a bit strange but it's it's hard to quite quite well understand and how how this whole process worked no that's that's totally fair enough oh also i, I think it's important to mention that this movie it won two awards and got four nominations in various festivals for uh, best documentary and everything, and uh, yeah, it got nominated in um, by the Russian Guild of Film Critics Awards and in Stockholm Film Festival. It actually won in as best documentary in uh, Wiesbaden Go East, and the Indie Lisboa International Independent Film Festival. It also got nominated, and it won the Dokaviv Film Festival. It, it, it should be mentioned because even though it might seem, well, why are you just talking about this movie that is compiled archive footage? But you can see how a lot of work went into this and it is a good movie. If you know what you're getting into and you want some sort of an inside perspective. And again, I have to compare this to, well, my my Mr. Dan Carlin, my favorite podcaster, right? It's similar to the feeling that when specifically he spoke about the Punic Wars between Rome and Carthage he often focused on the fact how it how it would be like to feel like a roman soldier who has to fight an elephant who has never whom he has never seen in his life before with a spear okay that yes. that's insider knowledge and and this is something similar if you know what yeah. you if you know what you're going in for and also the fact that uh, obviously as this is archive footage all the people they really they are soviet and you can get like a glimpse on how everyday people looked at the period and everything and you can get into the period and you can get this well if you've read about Stalin's funeral and everything that happened there this gives you kind of a on the ground perspective and it kind of it doesn't get into details with all the politics that happened surrounding Stalin's death in the top brass and everything it gives you this on the ground perspective from a person who has limited knowledge of all the all the reasons of Stalin's death and all the elements behind it it makes you feel like you're there, like you are a Soviet citizen, and you're going through experiencing this whole, well, process, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of like removes the distance of like the you know basically almost almost seventy years since it happened, and I think part of that is like a lot of the footage is in black and white, but a lot of it is in very vivid vivid color, and it's kind of like I'm just not used to seeing documentary footage 
of that age. I mean, obviously there's Technicolor movies of, of that vintage, but it's very odd seeing seeing movies that are that vivid. It just doesn't seem like this is nearly 70 years ago. It's it, I think that really kind of helps the kind of like feeling like you're there aspect. I tell you what, <laughs> a sort of an experiment. Um, I would be fascinated to see the reaction of like if you showed this to like a high school age kid who just maybe didn't know anything about the Soviet Union or Stalin or the events. I mean, I think they might struggle to sit through it, just, you know, attention spans being what they are sometimes at at that age, you know, speaking for myself. Um, But just, like, to watch all of that and then see, like, the kicker of, like, oh, yeah, this is is who this guy was Uh, and see, see what their response would be, you know? Yeah, that would be an that would be an interesting thing, though. Um, one thing that I would I would kind of lay on as a as a bit of criticism of the movie is uh, the most tedious part for me truly was the kind of the arrival of all the of all the dignitaries, the, the, the dignitaries from other countries. I mean, I because there is a lot of repetition, and I think you know the movie is about two hours long, two two hours and a couple of minutes, and they could have they. they could have probably cut out at least half an hour of it in a way, but on the other hand, this this repetitiveness also kind of adds to the atmosphere. It adds to the fact that it's it's a bit of a grind and people are going through this and and that it's kind of you know it adds to the mood I think in some way. But oh, but, yeah. definitely. But but but, I, I, but so and I and I think that that was that part of the movie was the weakest one because. Well, it is just shots of people coming out of a plane. They they show a lot of them, but it's it's a bit weird. But you can at least yeah. uh, you can at least see how Russian people traditionally greet each other. So that's nice. Yeah, and it's it's kind of weird seeing all of these, you know, like nasty communist leaders being kind of warm and friendly to their like international comrades it's, and kissing it's each other like, a lot. Well, yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah, it's not something that you would necessarily think of if you're thinking of uh, of those guys. Um, yeah, um, kind of where to go from there though, because this. <laughs> no, like like I said uh, in our pre-recording conversation, pro tip for for like background for other podcasters there. Um, yeah, after watching this movie, I kind of went through what my grandmother, who was twenty at the time Stalin died what she had told me because um well she lived a very long age and i was lucky that she kept her mind very clear up until the very end and i managed to grab a lot of stories from her and she she told me about the death of stalin and how she remembered it and just to, yeah how just, old was she at the time 20 so yeah and a young adult so, yes yeah. and uh, just to put things in further into context, she was also a daughter of a Lutheran preacher. Okay. Just so, saying. Yeah. Important, important context. That is a bit important if you're talking about Stalin and Stalin's era, persecutions and everything, right? Right. But she remembered that as she uh, was in university, just like uh, just like every year on the 1st of May or any such big events, 
everyone was in their workplaces and everywhere uh, forced to go outside in the street. And a lot of the things that you can see in this movie are a lot of people buying these newspapers and whatever because you know when if you work at a factory or or anywhere else or if you're if you are a student or or something you can also see in the movie where like little kids get taken to take by the stall and they carry these potted plants and everyone was forced out there and they were kind of they were watched so that to, oh yeah to people... you don't want to be like ah oh, no i think i'll skip it i'll stay home yeah then then you you know you get put on the naughty list and then the nice men from the KGB, you know, show a special interest in your actions. Yeah. And exactly. and uh, there were a lot of people who genuinely cried after the death of Stalin, but a lot of people, for starters, just couldn't believe that this could have happened. There was a massive, massive disbelief all around and kind of this, this total lack of knowledge what would happen further on because... At that point, up until like um, near his death, the Soviet Union had become basically a complete totalitarian regime with an absolute control of Stalin, who ran everything personally, and everyone just associated Stalin with the Soviet Union so much that everyone was just kind of stunned and didn't even know how to react or what to do, and and the whole confusion thing is and is very vivid here and. I, I remember that there's also this scene where um, like military people are also walking in to say goodbye to Stalin in Moscow, and you can just see in people's faces the fact that you can you can just feel that some of them are there, even though they've been like dragged there. But some of them are literally interested to go there and actually see if he's dead. What if this is some weird plan? And people are truly kind of just stunned, and and they 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 because uh, my grandmother really said that. Like people didn't believe what they were hearing in the 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 radio, and they actually had to they actually bought these newspapers. And and at one point at the beginning, a lot of people actually thought that this is just a kind of a trick to see who who would be happy about this. And this is kind of a that Stalin had faked his own death to check on his political enemies, and and then he would come back and just you know deal with them later or something. And 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 it was just this weird thing. That's that does seem like something that he would do. Um, yeah, uh, and just with the personality cult, he was just built up. And I mean, you know, as an illustration of a personality cult, that's this film is like superlative. But just yeah, he was built up to being like more than human, and you just have the irony of at his funeral. So he is literally dead. We see his body. People are repeatedly using the phrase "the immortal Stalin." It's like, no, clearly very mortal. Uh. No, and, and think think about this cult of personality and uh, why I really love the scenes, which were not from Moscow or or the bigger cities, which were from very rural areas. Mm, is the yeah, fact yeah. that um, one thing that Stalin did as an organizer is that he um, he introduced literacy to a lot of these places because literacy rates were extremely low. Uh, in the Russian Empire, in general, they were extremely low uh, throughout most of modern-day Russia in rural uh, rural areas. And let me remind you that, for example, uh, up until like 1980s, people who worked in kolkhoz in these rural areas, these collective farms, they didn't even have passports, and they had to get parties party permission to even leave their district to go somewhere. It was mm, kind of yeah, yeah. still very serf-like, but he decided that. For 
this Soviet propaganda to work, the people needed to be able to read. So he basically fought illiteracy by just giving people his own works. A lot of people uh, learned how to read in the Soviet Union, and mostly in the eastern parts, in the in Siberia and other rural towns, from reading literally Stalin's own works and all this communist propaganda. And that also helped uh, all this uh, cult of personality process, because if, if, if your first interaction with any written text at all comes from this one point of view, and you are, like, otherwise you might be quite distant from politics, if your first ever iteration comes from all this, then it also helps helps to cement this, this cult of personality a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like it's being almost like built into like the foundations of your of your subconscious if you like. Yeah, it kind of forms the way that you that you think. It kind of um also reminded me of what I what I have seen and read from about Lenin's funeral. But Stalin's funeral was interesting because how people were reacting and everything as like Lenin's funeral was not as orchestrated if if you know what i mean i mean this this looked specifically when when you when you get to kind of the later parts of the movie where people are giving those speeches there that that's that's the that's the one aspect where um where you can clearly see the fear fear part cuz those speeches that you hear and well if you if you understand russian then then you'll definitely know what i mean but if you don't then well most of the speeches given at the end at the stalin's funeral are kind of not even quite about Stalin at all. They mention Stalin and they say that he was the greatest leader ever to grace to walk this earth, of course. And uh, But they also kind of focus on the fact that uh, now we must build communism for Stalin and now that we must work to complete five-year plans and whatever. And, 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 and it's perfectly normal to give a very loud kind of speech very theatrical one about how now we must grow more potatoes so that we continue proud Stalin's work or something. And it all looks so... It, it really looks kind of staged and faked. It doesn't, you know, feel uh, feel kind of nice and, and normal. And you can compare there the speeches given kind of by your average person, because there are some, and then at the parade, the big speeches given by the leaders are just... And if you if you know the background on how they're at that point already struggling to get uh, get their hands on Stalin's various papers and, and various, you know, dark deeds that they have done in his secret papers and everything, and how they're already basically dealing with all the political machinations, then these, these speeches at the end by the other Soviet leaders, they... They come off as massively hypocritical and just just super staged and very plasticky. It also sure, kind of, sure, sure, of course. I hope I hope what I'm saying makes sense because it's it's quite hard to comment on all the situation there because this is a it's a very specific movie. I liked it, but I'm a Soviet history fan and I know the whole situation there. Sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah, I just wanted to like get a bit more into what your what your grandmother had told you about her memories because obviously like with her background being what it was did she say that she remembered feeling relief or was it kind of like a mixture of things at the beginning it was disbelief and and then kind of well a lot of people in the territories that you know were mm, shall we say annexed and uh, grabbed by stalin after world war ii like the Baltic states or Poland or Bulgaria. Yeah, you know, 
where we already had our stuff, it was more of a relief. But it also was, you know, it was less organic, but it was more organized because when people went out in the street and were told to basically, you must mourn now, they weren't told how long they should mourn. And mm. my gran- grandma ended up having to stand in, out in the street, and there was a pretty cold year, that year, 1953. Yeah, it's happening in March, which is, you know, it's not warm at that point. <laughs> it's it's pretty cold, pretty cold up, up here, yeah. And um, she she said that everyone was so afraid to stop openly crying and mourning on the street and just uh, that she had to stand there and and pretend to mourn for two hours because everyone was afraid that if they're going to be the first ones to go home then they might get Mm. in trouble and everyone just stood there and the more they stood there the colder it became and everyone just just didn't know what to do because at that point even the whole organization and all the local party leaders they also were scrambling and at the beginning there was this idea that you well someone who would come uh, come in power they would continue the stalin's thing and you had to show your respect for stalin as much as you could and then just a little a little later khrushchev turns everything around and now stalin's evil and then 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 that also causes confusion because now everyone who's a local party leader is afraid that they showed too much respect for stalin during his funeral mm, yeah yeah and it's like i was just trying to do what I thought was the best thing for my survival at the time, and now that might be held against me. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I mean, that is the, that is the like, the really hard to believe, almost, that, like, within three years of this massive outpouring of, like, staged-managed grief, it's like, yeah, so that guy that we were saying was the best thing ever. Uh, yeah, actually... Uh, he wasn't. He was. He was quite bad, and we need to, we need to kind of put that behind us. Uh, communism is still good. Just Stalin, not so much. The interesting part is the fact that the biggest, the biggest Stalin denouncers, including Khrushchev himself, but they also participated in Stalin's atrocities oh. too. Because Khrushchev, yeah, incredibly complicit. Yeah, it's just that it was a, it was a thing that, you know, they they started fighting over um, who who would be the top dog, and they knew that whomever won this internal political struggle would definitely pull out and use the bad deeds of, of whomever was the loser of this political battle to just jail them instantly, because everyone knew everyone was guilty of something, okay? So Khrushchev used this card to basically wipe the slate clean for everyone just a bit and make sure everyone could just calm down. Just did it wasn't us, it was all Stalin. Yes, let's now it was all Stalin. Yes, so. like like we didn't do anything. Now everyone else in the Central Committee, please agree. And everyone is like, uh-huh. Of, of course, yes. What well, wasn't me, Governor. It was it was all those other guys who are now conveniently dead. So it's fine. Nothing to see here. Let's move along. Let's continue building communism and the bright future and yeah, and just for, no one for, looked too this. closely. Yeah, but, but like about this movie, um, yeah, like I said, like like you said, there is not that much to comment on this one because, in in an audio format, you can't really you can't really give the feel of of how people look because this is a very visual movie. Mm. It's it's mm. one of those movies where where there's this mood and everything and. It's it's quite hard to des- describe really because you know the, the, there are no well except the historical 
great people and the political leaders, a lot of these a lot of these folks are just you know your everyday people, and they look very mm, Soviet. Course. They look very classical Soviet too. I, I bet I bet that a lot of them were a bit uh, propped up and and wear their best clothes and everything for for the archive materials because you know you had to do that. But well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like again, you you're conscious that you're being watched and you you don't want to go to the great man's funeral whilst like you know looking sloppy and like you didn't try you know that would be seen as a sign of disrespect and this also kind of shows how soviet tv worked and how soviet media worked because unlike modern days where you know most countries have a nice little freedom of of, of press during the soviet era there was there was only positive news and uh this also kind of shows that they did take their time and worked quite hard to show this Stalin's funeral, and they tried to make it kind of make it look as as pleasing to the eye and and kind of respectful and dignified as possible, because yeah, everything in the Soviet media that was either in radio or the press or whatever it was all focused on that everything is always good and in order in Soviet Union. Yeah, and just getting better and better. Yeah, and they they. It's it's kind of hard to show a funeral of of the leader, to, and and make it look like something positive. So they had to show all this massive respect for everyone. But mm. but yeah, Stalin's Stalin's funeral was basically the last funeral in the Soviet Union that that happened this way, because up until like when when Khrushchev resigns and he didn't like he also had a funeral, but Khrushchev resigned and people just at that point at that point when Khrushchev resigned. You know what had happened was what happens with all totalitarian regimes that they kind of mellow out a bit and and people just pay lip service, but if, like the the fanaticism has died down and people know that well we can't really get out of this, but we you know we need we need to we need to say that communism is great. Okay, then and, and then political jokes start appearing and there's like bit, everyone's a bit less afraid and 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 nothing as as pompous as this this had happened and after this people just you know. This was kind of the last very big funerals as massive. Of course, Brezhnev and, and Chernyenko and Andropov also had, like, big funerals, but nothing as, as huge as what happened with Stalin, obviously. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, Brezhnev had a long tenure as, as leader, but he wasn't around for, like, basically three decades. And, yeah, they wasn't... I mean, there was... I think there was elements of personality cult stuff going on with him too but just like not to the same extent well um, well you know brezhnev brezhnev uh, used to hold the title for like one of the longer leading people but well putin has beaten brezhnev at this point so you know <laughs> yeah it's it's very weird to think that he's been around since you know i i was in secondary school yeah it's just so weird but yeah yeah that's that's the way it goes See, this is an interesting question because normally we're at a point where I, I can, uh, as in as in everything about movies, people would ask, "Well, do we recommend this movie?" And I think the question this this time is a bit different: to whom we would recommend this movie? Ooh, that's a difficult question because, like, you know, it, in a way, I want to say, "Well, everyone should see this," but everyone everyone should at least take a look at it. But I think that your average person. Will probably skip over a lot, a lot of parts of it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's kind of a big ask, but I think the 
contemporary like relevance of personality cults around a leader naming no names but i think people can probably fill in fill the blanks with you know their favorite candidates but yeah i think it is obviously that is a thing to consider is like there are historical precedents for these things that happen in 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 the present and and maybe seeing examples of it in the past you know can help you understand how things are at the current time so yeah, it's. I'm not going to say it's an exciting watch, but I think it is worth checking out. I certainly. would, I would definitely check this out if you have seen the Death of Stalin, the comedy movie. Oh, definitely. Because this will give you. First of all, it'll you'll understand what's happening, and this will give you so much context and make make you understand kind of the the punch of the dark comedy and the Death of Stalin a lot more. Because then you'll 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 have a lot of context for this, and you know it's um, it's not played for laughs at all, and this this no, kind of, of somber not. and this somber tone in the movie will will greatly complement the death of Stalin's kind of lighthearted tone, because if if you watch this right after that, or at least you know a couple of days after that, then you can like oh this was a funny thing, let's see how this went, and then go like sort oh, of compare oh. and contrast, yeah, yeah. I mean, I have to say, I mean, obviously, clearly, it's not played for laughs, but just as a person with, you know, an odd sense of humour, I couldn't help finding certain aspects kind of like darkly, darkly, darkly funny. Oh, yeah, of course. Just, I mean, you mentioned like the religious persecution aspect, just the fact that you have these high dignitaries of the Orthodox Church kind of like bowing to the you, you know paying their respects to to this person who until as we mentioned in in part 1 until the the second world war came along and russian orthodoxy was useful as like a rallying point he kind of tried to stamp out their their church and like persecuted their you know ostensibly their friends so that's that's very weird to see but also just the this is odd. This is maybe this is just me, but just his uh, Stalin's coffin. The fact it's just so bright red, and then the fact that it has this kind of like bubble window. Oh yeah, where you can see his face. It's almost like it's almost like he's an he's a, he's a cosmonaut with. Oh this no no no! Like, the bubble window. This fishbowl. I have an explanation for the for the fishbowl window. It's so that people would actually be- believe that Stalin was dead. They had mm. to see the body. Otherwise, no in one would believe it. Yes. Right. This right, is right, his right. body. It's in the coffin. Yes, it is Stalin. This is not a trick. March on, comrade. Yeah. And then his, his general hat is like perched on, on the top. It's just it's just quite a And it's bright red. It is. It is. Image. It, it is. So red. Can it be more red? None. None more red. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, like the... Uh... <laughs> The uh, Spinal Tap album cover, none more black. Yeah, ah, it's it's just very, very odd thing to to witness. It it kind of it, the feel that it gave me is when you know you. Um, I'm sure some I'm sure some listeners have played this. If you've if you've played some um, indie horror games with the very creepy vibes going on, where 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 you you, you watch this and. You, you sometimes feel like something's wrong. It, it gives you a bit of, you know, creepy creepy vibes too now and then. 
and you, you can't really say what exactly, but but yeah, that that kind of gives you the mood. You you're always the movie when I watched it made me feel that I wanted to you know turn around and behind watch the watch behind me like because this gives you this kind of this creepy feeling. The feeling that you're being watched, yeah, yeah. very unsettling. It, it, yeah, and, it, and it is achieved, and it is achieved by this by this positioning of of you in the story as like inside there, and, and that the movie really feels because because if you wanna if you wanna feel how the Soviet people felt during this this whole process and 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 in general during a lot of the Soviet era and have this kind of dread stuff and, and have some empathy maybe to the average Soviet person, then you should definitely give this movie a try. But like I said, I don't know if many people will will watch through this in, in one setting, definitely. I mean it's yeah, no, it's I, uh, I get that. it's a thing. But it it's and it's a primary source if you're a history student. It it definitely uh, if you have any reason uh in your studies or your hobbies to you know be interested about how it really was like or if you if you study soviet history or just cold war history in general then definitely you should watch this absolutely yeah and just getting that kind of like emotional full on this is as close as you can get to actually being there yeah that's definitely definitely like valuable okay well i feel like this is a good place to to wrap up the episode thank you Kristaps, so much for coming on and sharing your expertise so uh before we go where can folks find you online oh we're uh, we're having a bit of an issue with our homepage at this moment it's come gonna come back up it's the eastern border.lv because we, we have to deal with some technical issues however you can find me on well every good place you can listen to podcasts we're on Spotify and all your podcasting apps and just look up the Eastern Border or just Eastern Border Podcast and, hey, you'll find us. Then, well, then you can listen to us. And we're also on Twitter. If you follow, if you follow Alistair on, on, any, of, of any, on any of his accounts, you'll, you'll probably find me on the friends list too. It's not hard. It's the Eastern Border. Yep. We communicate now and then on Twitter too. And we, we're com- we do indeed. And we also respond to our listeners, which is also no, not less, no less important so you can you can find us there so yeah if, if you want to listen if you want to listen more about Soviet history or russian politics then please do check out the eastern border that's my show and i hope you'll find it interesting and i'm extremely thankful to you for having me on here and for showing me this movie because for me it was extremely interesting and kind of an an emotional trip that made me think a lot more and well like i said i had heard stories and watched some watch some other kind of archive documentaries of the whole era. But in a, in a sense, I guess I kind of understand my, my late grandmother a bit more, at least, from this event. Because it, it, one thing that it does give you is this insider perspective, yeah. Wonderful. I'm, I'm so glad that... <laughs> I don't want to say ha- you had a good time, but that you found like that it was a valuable experience. So oh, no, comrade, we, to have... <laughs> comrade, what do you mean we didn't have a good time? Right, yes, no, sorry. Happiness <laughs> is mandatory, of course. all right (laughs) yeah okay so yeah on on that note thank you very much for listening and dasvidanya folks dasvidanya tovarishi
So that's it for this episode, but before I go, I'd like to thank Sasha Ilukovic and the Highly Skilled Migrants for the use of their song Cold in our intro. You can find that song and the rest of their back catalogue on Bandcamp and Spotify. If you're enjoying the show, please consider supporting us by leaving a rating at Apple Podcasts or at podchaser.com. That second one, Podchaser, even lets you rate individual episodes, so if this episode particularly stood out to you, you can let other listeners know that you enjoyed it. Recommending the show on social media is hugely helpful as well. If you can spare a moment or two to do that, it would really make my day. Thank you, thank you very much. Speaking of social media... Please find us and say hi on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. You can also drop us a line at roosfilesunite at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, take care of yourselves, and bye for now. Don't forget that you can get an entire month of incredible cinema for free when you visit mubi.com slash roosfiles. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash roosfiles.